Thanks for sharing, Theodore. What language is that? French. French. Great. Well, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me here. Appreciate your warm welcome. And um, yeah, I can just tell you're such great, great people. So it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, thank you for the invitation to be here. I'm always excited when, um, first of all, someone knows about World Refugee Day um, to, to know, to invite someone to come. Um, so thank you, uh, Stacia, for that invitation. Um, as she said, my name is Nick Wirtz. I'm the Director of Refugee Community Services at Lutheran Services in Iowa. Um, and my hope this morning is to tell you a little bit more about what we do as an organization, Lutheran Services in Iowa, um, give you uh, a little bit of background on refugee resettlement and kind of our country's role in helping people who have been forced from their homes um, to resettle here in the United States, um, and to encourage you for the work that I know you're already doing here to make uh, Cedar Rapids and Iowa a welcoming place uh, for newcomers. Um, so our, our mission as an organization is to respond to the love of Jesus Christ through compassionate service. Uh, we do that all across the state and have now been doing it for over 150 years. Um, LSI was an organization that was actually started by immigrants um, back in 1864 uh, all the way up through 1890. There were three different uh, children's homes that were established by uh, German, Swedish, um, and Norwegian Lutherans, um, some in response to orphans after the, the Civil War, and others just responding to needs of children in their, their local communities. And so those, those children homes were formed, and over the last 150 years and, and a little bit more, um, that work has become uh, the social ministry of Lutheran services in Iowa. And so um, the work that's now provided around the state um, continues to include homes for children who aren't able to be in their homes. So there's a residential um, center in Ames called Beloit, and in Waverly, a campus called Gremlin. So for kids age 6 to 18 who are um, experiencing troubles at home and aren't, aren't able to be there, and so LSI staff work with those kids and their families to try and bring them back together. LSI also provides a range of counseling and um, behavioral health services for youth and adults all across the state, um, early childhood programs, uh, foster care and adoption, um, and then our refugee community services, which is something that we do just provide um, in the Des Moines area. Um, but all the other things that I mentioned are happening across the state. And here in Cedar Rapids, um, in the last year, LSI has opened up a location at First Lutheran Church. Um, and so currently there, there's a counselor working with families and um, some staff who are working with individuals with disabilities. So you may see more of, of LSI in the future as we try to figure out where in Iowa and where in the community we can use our skills and gifts to serve. Um, there are about 25 different office locations around the state, um, and um, welcoming refugees has been a part of our mission and ministry really since World War II. Um, the, the predecessor organizations um, helped welcome families from Eastern Europe who were, uh, didn't have a place to go after World War II, um, so they welcomed children and families here. Um, in, the, in the 1970s, you may know that um, our governor, Robert Ray, was actually one of the first, to get, he was the first governor to respond to a letter from President Ford um, looking for states that would welcome tie-down refugees who had fled after the, the Vietnam War. And so Governor Ray uh, stepped up um, and as our sort of political leader um, said that Iowa would be a welcoming place for the tie-down people. And so um, the tie-down people as a, as a group were able to come to Iowa and, and stay together. And so Iowa has a, a unique place um, in our country's history of welcoming and resettling refugee families. 
Um, over the years, LSI has been a part of that work and has helped welcome families uh, from Southeast Asia. Um, after that, families from Bosnia, from Liberia, um, other West African countries, um, up to the present day, welcoming families from Burundi, Burma, Bhutan, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Eritrea, Somalia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Um, as Stasia mentioned, Wednesday, uh, this past week was World Refugee Day, um, which is a day uh, to commemorate the strength and courage and perseverance of all those who have been forced to flee, flee their homes. Um, as we gather here this morning, uh, there are over 60 million people um, who are not in their homes, they're not in their places of worship, their schools, their jobs and communities, because they've been forced to flee due to violence and persecution. They had no choice but to leave and seek safety for themselves and their families. Millions of them seek refuge, uh, refugee within their own countries. Um, however, 23 million um, could not depend upon their own government, and so they've actually crossed a border um, to seek safety. And those are the people that the international community defines as refugees. They've, they've been forced to flee because of persecution, because of their race, their religion, nationality, or political opinion, and they, they've had to leave because their government could not protect them. So 23 million people are, are sort of classified or given granted refugee status by the United Nations. Um, to give you some perspective on, on that, um, I did a little quick math this morning. Um, that's 177 times the size of Cedar Rapids. So if you took the population of Cedar Rapids, um, that's how many people right now who are living outside of their home country um, looking, looking to return home, hopefully, um, or seven times the size of our entire state's population. Uh, many of them currently are families from Syria, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, they've sought safety in, in these neighboring countries, often in refugee camps, um, sometimes in cities uh, in those neighboring countries where they're, they're seeking shelter and safety. And it's here across the border um, that they wait to return, much like Jesus' family did um, as they fled Egypt, waiting for safety and uh, peace to return to their home country and wait for the news that, that Herod was no longer seeking Jesus' life. Uh, the UN Refugee Agency is the international organization that's responsible for overseeing the rights of displaced people around the world. So they're kind of the first on the ground um, helping provide basic provisions for people as they're, they're seeking safety and work with international organizations to provide food, shelter, um, to help people have some basic, basic stability and, and ensure that people have, have human rights. Um, refugee camps are not designed to be long-term. They're designed to be there to provide the basics. Um, but oftentimes, what happens is those, those situations and the reasons that people left don't change quickly. Uh, the average stay for someone who's fled their home country as a refugee is 25 years. Um, when I first started working at LSI about 12 years ago, we were working with uh, Burundian families who had fled their home countries due to ethnic violence um, in 1972. And they've been living in refugee camps in Tanzania by that point almost 35 years. And so you had a whole generation um, who was waiting, you know, waiting to return home um, and never had the opportunity. So the United Nations um, works to identify of that 23 million who are those that one cannot return home. That's everybody's wish. If they're not able to return home, is there a way for them to become integrated and become a citizen of the country where they've where they've initially sought refuge? And then kind of the third and final option, um, which is a, it's a very, it's an option very few have, is to be resettled to a third country um, like the United States. And so um, the UN is looking at things like um, 
security concerns? Is that person still at risk of, of further uh, violence in the situation that they're at? Are there health concerns? Do they have family already in another country around the world that might provide a better, better situation? Uh, one of the gentlemen that LSI resettled back in 2008, and I had the pleasure of working with, uh, his name was Furman, who was from Burundi and had been living um, in the Tanzanian refugee camp um, all that time that I described, um, described it as a place of no hope. There was no hope there, he said. Um, I recently saw a stat that over the last five years, uh, fewer than half of children, fewer than half of the children in Syria have actually been able to attend school. So camps are not places, it's not a, as you said, it's not a, it's not a fun place, it's not a retreat center. There's, there's limited education, limited health care. Um, people aren't allowed to work, they're not citizens of these countries that they fled to. Um, and so they're, they're really just waiting, waiting to go home. Um, and it's a hope that um, some continue to hang on to for many decades. Um, I wanted to let you know a little bit kind of about the U.S. and kind of our role in refugee resettlement so you kind of know what, what that looks like and where that provides opportunities for local communities to be, to be involved. Um, there are a total of 30, 30 governments around the world that actually provide refugee resettlement. The United States is one of them and historically has been a leader in um, providing refugee resettlement. Um, about 80, so again, 23 million people worldwide. Um, of those 23 million, the UN recommends that 8% or 1.8 million are actually in need of resettlement. So they can't go home, they can't stay where they're at, they need a third country to provide them an opportunity for, for a future. Um, of that 1.8 million, um, annually the US has invited about 80,000 people to come here to the United States through the Refugee Resettlement Program um, and become members, members of our local communities. Um, the high, at, at its height, um, in the first Bush administration, the U.S. welcomed uh, 200,000 people here um, during a few of those years in response to some of the situations abroad. Um, the program has also always been a bipartisan-supported uh, program. I know it's a program that you've all probably seen in the news over the last uh, two to three years. Um, you know, something throughout the last, last presidential election cycle was, was something that was really uh, focused on, I think, by, by both parties in terms of um, Kind of where this fits in our country's priorities, but it is something that both Republicans and Democrats have supported. Um, and in fact, more refugees have actually been welcomed to the United States under Republican administrations um, than Democratic. Um, some of the main reasons you might have seen in the, in the news were uh, for, for some of the changes were due to security concerns. Um, however, the, the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program is our most robust and most thorough screening process of all of our, our immigration processes. So refugee resettlement represents about 10% of all U.S. immigration, um, and it takes a family about two to four years to actually go through all of the vetting and screening overseas before they're ever admitted here to the United States. Um, I have several members of my staff who um, came through the refugee resettlement process and, and they still have family members abroad who are, are waiting and going through all of those steps with um, several U.S. government um, agencies. Um, so once the U.N. recommends a family, it's still up to that government to admit them. So the U.S. has um, a two to four year process where they're screening families um, before they'll admit them here to the United States. So in the current year, uh, We've seen a lot of uh, decline in the numbers of families who are coming here to the United States and here to Iowa. Um, in 2016, the United States was preparing to resettle 110,000 people, mainly in response to uh, the millions of people that fled Syria because of their civil war. Um, in the last year, um, the United States resettled 57,000 people, and in the current year, 
Uh, just 20, it's anticipated just 20,000 people will be admitted through the U.S. refugee program due to some of the changes of the current administration. Um, it is in the power of the president to set that ceiling every year, the, the numbers that come in. Um, Congress is able to make a recommendation, um, but it is up to the president. So that's something that we as an organization and would encourage you as people of faith to uh, you know, visit with our, our elected officials and um, encourage them uh, to be welcoming, just as we talked about it or sang about in our song, song this morning. Once um, a family is approved for refugee resettlement, they're connected with a local organization. So here in the Cedar Rapids community, um, the Catherine McCauley Center. How many of you are familiar with the Catherine McCauley Center? Show of hands. Okay, great. So just within the last year and a half, two years, they've begun resettling refugee families in, in, uh, in eastern Iowa here and plan to continue to do that. And, and part of their responsibility as a resettlement agency is to find housing for that family. Um, prior to coming in to help furnish that housing, often through the help of congregations and, and donors to provide uh, beds and furniture and, and things like that. They actually go and pick the family up at the airport, bring them back to their house, um, and then help get them oriented to their new community. And I know are often looking for volunteers to help uh, teach English classes, help meet and tutor youth, um, and just help people navigate a new, a new community. Um, it's challenging coming to a new country, and if you don't know the language and you don't, don't know the culture, um, it takes a number of years to feel like you're truly, truly at home. Um, they work with the family for the first three to six months, and the, their priority is really to help adults get employed as quickly as possible. So the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program is one in which um, the Department of State and those um, that have kind of set it up are trying to help families get uh, employed as quickly as possible so that they can become self-sufficient. So. The Catherine McCauley Center as an organization, they can provide support for that first three to six months, and then the family's really on their own. And, 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 and for the most part, I know in Des Moines, 96% of families are working within that first three to six months and are, and are paying their way in a new country. Um, in terms of status, when people come here, um, they are, uh, again, refugee status, and then after a year are be able to become green card holders or legal permanent residents, and then after five years are able to become U.S. citizens. Um, one kind of interesting fact that most people don't know about refugee resettlement is that um, before families come, they actually sign a promissory note. They have, they have a loan. They bring debt with them to this country, um, and it's for their airfare. So they pay back um, the cost of their airfare to come to this country. Uh, it's an interest-free loan. Um, they begin paying back on it after being in the country for six months, and then that goes to help future families come to the country. Um, so I talked a little bit about kind of the services uh, that organizations provide, some of those services we provide um, in the Des Moines community, but uh, the reality is, is that families uh, need more than jobs, they need more than a shelter and a roof, they need a community, they need friends, they need uh, people of faith, they need uh, co-workers, mentors, and friends, um, and so that's where the role of the local church, I feel, really comes in. I, I mentioned I've been at LSI for about 12 years. Um, I studied religion in school, thought I was going to do, do youth ministry after I graduated and didn't feel like that's where, where God was leading me and uh, got to meet some of the first families uh, from Burundi that I worked with and um, just fell in love with the people and the joy and the perseverance um, and the skills and gifts that they bring with them. Um, and I just thought, man, what a wonderful opportunity for the church to live out its call um, to welcome the stranger and to be open our arms just as God opens our arms, his arms to us. Um, as you know, throughout the Old Testament, um, the people of Israel are asked to reflect on their own experiences of being strangers and being foreigners, um, and that is how we are to treat strangers and foreigners as well. 
I love seeing that in your bulletin as well on the front, um, we have the scripture from Matthew um, reminding us that when we welcome a stranger, we are welcoming the Lord. So we find ourselves in a time uh, where there are more displaced people than ever before. And the questions about how we as a global community, how we as individual countries and, people of, and, and as people of faith respond to these things, to refugees, immigrants, are more complex than ever. As Christians, uh, we have guidance upon which to rely to answer some of these questions. Questions like, should it matter what someone's status is? What their country of origin is? Should it matter where on the map someone has been born? Or what boundary lines have been drawn or constructed to separate and define us? Should it matter what earthly definitions they do or do not fit? Should these things change how we love and serve our neighbors? I love the passage from Hebrews. Uh, where we're talk, told about people of faith who've come before us, both men and women, and how they've lived out their life of faith. And I feel like this passage gives us great guidance in terms of how we are to live as Christians here on earth. So this is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers here on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he's prepared a city for them. So I want to thank you for allowing me to be here with you this morning. I want to encourage you and thank you for the work that you do as a community of faith here to welcome the strangers, to create a community that's committed to multiculturalism and inclusion. Um, and so I, I wish you the best and pray God's blessing on all of you as you continue to um, share God's love with the community around you. Thank you. Thank you.